Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. As we come around God's word together, let's pray for his presence and power in what he has for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and its power in our lives. We praise you for what you can, what you are, what you will do in us through the empty tomb of Jesus, through your continued work and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray, Father, that those who are here who do not know you, Lord, move through the power of your truth into hearts to bring hope and life and comfort, to bring forgiveness, to bring your grace, to bring your transformation. We pray for those who do know the grace of Christ that you might come through your Spirit's power. Continue to change us. Make us more like you. We might follow you where you lead us, go where you call us to go, that we might see your kingdom grow through us. Thank you for all the blessings we know. We praise you for this day, this wonderful day of Easter that we can gather as your family and proclaim that he truly is risen. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. From 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning or had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Easter is a great day. I love it. 
I love seeing a lot of people in church. I love seeing family come and visiting other family that we haven't seen in a while. Wonderful to have you here with us. And when we come together on this day of Easter, we have that phrase that we often use, he is risen, he is risen indeed, right? It's lots of little traditions, lots of cool stuff. Beth puts the brass team together and they're up here blaring away. And it's, it's just, it's good, good, good stuff. And we come and we come to celebrate, and many of us come to celebrate because we know that on Good Friday, on the cross, as we were here on Good Friday at the river, and we, on the cross uh, that Christ was hung upon, we know that Christ took upon us his sin. And that all of the sin of humanity, our sin, was put upon him and he took the punishment for us. Amen? We know that. So the power of sin is gone. And we know then on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, that because the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, that Jesus, who had died on the cross, is now risen. We know then that in Christ we have victory over death. Amen? So on Easter, we celebrate victory over sin and its power in our lives and victory over death and its power in our lives. And we know that through the grace of Jesus Christ that he gives to those whom he calls according to his plan and purpose to be a part of his family, we know that our eternity is sure that we know the salvation of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's really in many ways what we do on Easter Sunday is celebrate that good stuff. Great stuff. I love it. But is that where we end? Is that really the focus of Easter that we should remain with? Is that what we should stick to? Or is there much more going on in the story of Christ's death and resurrection? And I want to think through with you this morning through this First John text and what this has for us in light of also the story of Easter and especially the time leading up to Easter, specifically John 17 and his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to think through what Christ taught us that may nuance, that may develop our understanding of Easter, that we don't see it simply as a means for us to receive the gift of eternal life through the victory of Christ over sin, the victory of Christ over death. There's more to it than that. Now, before we begin any discussion of this, I want to make this abundantly clear. And if you agree with it, say amen. And that is, God's grace is sufficient for salvation. Absolutely. Let's be clear about that. I don't want anyone to walk away from here saying, Pastor Scott is preaching works righteousness, that he's saying that we need to do good stuff in order to be saved. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is a nuance of that or another way to look at that. But by its very nature, salvation is through the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. In this text from 1 John, though, believers who want to truly love God live into obedience. So there is an element of response that this text gives to us. And let's read really quickly what verse 4 says there. It says this, Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not do what he commands is what? A little off? They, they haven't quite got it? They're, they're, they're sort of close, but not really. No, it says they're a liar. And the truth is not in that person. When we hear that statement, that phrase, it's pretty startling. Because in essence, what it's saying is, if this previous statement is not true, then you've missed what grace, what Christ, what salvation is truly all about. You're a liar. You know truth, but you're not living into truth. And certainly this should challenge. It has to challenge how we understand, how we live in the light of today, Easter day. Now, the reason why John is putting this stuff in front of the the church is because of a group of people that are sort of causing problems in the church. These people at the time, the historical time of this writing, are called the Gnostics. And if you know any Greek at all, then you're going to probably know the word gnosis. It's a silent G, but I'm putting it there so you can understand that it starts with G. Gnosis. And these Gnostics thought that if you had some sort of special knowledge, then you were a child of God. In fact, you were an extraordinary individual in this creation that we have. And their stuff got really sort of wacky. If you go home and do a Wikipedia search or do any sort of research on the Gnostics, there's special planets involved and there's some crazy things that go, it gets a little wacky. And Paul, because some of these people are within the church and causing problems in the church, he's saying, hold on here. Knowledge is not the issue. You can't say you know God and get this salvation. Knowledge is not the standard. Doing is the standard. Because even... As the text says, demons and Satan, what? They know God. Demons know Jesus. They know who he is as even the son of God. But they don't live into that knowledge and therefore they're not part of his family, not part of his kingdom. And the same then is true for us. Uh, You know, there's some of you here who don't know Jesus. And you may come to church today. Maybe today is your two, one of two days a year. And if you're here because of that, welcome. Glad you're here. Praying that God meets you and touches you and you experience his hospitality, warmth, and presence. Great. But you, you might think that because you know the story, you, you're in church and so you know who Jesus is, that you're good. The problem is, is not so much even that. It's those who might come every week and come with that understanding too. That they know who Jesus is. They know the stories. They know their Bible really well. But they're not living into it. And they're not loving into it. And the problem that we face, if that's us, is that this text text indicts us. John gives us the litmus test of salvation as a Christian. Do you or do you not as a Christian love others? 
Do you not live out the power of the grace offered on Easter in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, in the empty cross of Jesus Christ? And if you don't, then serious questions have to be posed. Serious questions have to be asked of you by you, me by me. And in the world that we live in, this is certainly a pertinent issue. Why? Because we live in a divided world. You and I are part of so many different um, groups and parties and different, different things that separate us. And the problem is, is that there's so much tension between the different groups, so much tension between the different parties and the different, the different ideals or the different... The, commonality that bind people together. There's those differences in the, and in those tension, in that tension and in that conflict between the differences. We see how it marks our world. We look at the Middle East and we see that. Religious differences mark that world with pain and suffering and violence and death. And we see it in our world. The issues that we've talked about many times before. The issues of race, the socioeconomic issues, and they create conflict because, frankly, people are not loving one another. And as Christians who live in this divided world, are we contributing to the problem or the solution? And those are certainly challenging issues for us to wonder about, especially in light of the truth that we know our salvation to be genuine and clear if we're living into that love for others. If we're not contributing to the solution, we have serious questions to ask. In our world, we have Christians who hate other Christians because of what they believe. If you don't believe like I do, if you don't believe the way I do about covenant baptism, then you're on the other side. I don't like you very much. If you don't believe what I believe about who Jesus is, about how, how his ministry looked, if you don't believe in certain historical truths, if you don't look at Revelation the same way that I do, then there's an issue. And that has happened historically in the church over and over and over and over again. But then we also have dichotomies because of how people live. You live differently than I do. You see things differently than I do. And that reflects in your lifestyle. And therefore, I will reject you. I will not care for you in the same way that I would that someone who's like me. Who they love. It's certainly a challenging one in the world that we live in. Or how people believe we should think about who people should love. And there are Christians on both sides of that issue. And that is such a divisive one within the church right now. And there's so much hatred and vitriol spewed from mouths about other Christians because they don't believe and see things the way that I do about that particular issue. Or how they look racially. We have so many different groups that meet on Sunday. They say that Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week in our Western culture. African American with African American, Asian with Asian, Latino with Latino, and all the different splinter groups within those different contexts. Every group to their own, in their own place. 
because we can't get along when we worship together or live together. Is this what Jesus was praying for in John chapter 17? Turn back, look, John 17. Look what he was praying for. He was praying that they would be one, his disciples, the church, his people would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And we live in a world that doesn't reflect his oneness within the context of the church. There's so many divisions. You can't call us unified. You can't call us one. And the question gets posed in the truth of First John chapter 2. Is that okay? Is that how things should be? Now, First John chapter 2, people would say, wait, that's for believers, that's for the church, that's for people who are common in the faith. Appropriate, okay, I can grab on to that. But it says in First John chapter 2, live as Jesus lived, right? It says that in there. And if it says that in there, think about how Jesus lived, even with people who are not part of the church. He, he, he healed the Roman centurion's daughter, he interacted with people who were not clean, that were not Jewish. He interacted with them and he showed love to them. The woman at the well, that was not part of his people. He welcomed, showed love and care and concern for him. So if we're going to live as Jesus lived, even people outside the church should feel our love. But instead, they might feel a lack of love or care, a lack of hospitality. And when they feel that, is this us living as Jesus lived? Now, it's uh, a church that I worked, once worked at. The, the, the janitor there, custodian, I don't know what the right politically correct word is, um, facilities, maintenance, coordinator of cleanliness, call him that. Um, our janitor at that um, facility was so unlike Dewanda, it's amazing. Dewanda, Dewanda always has a smile on her face. If you walk around here and you run into Dewanda, she's cleaning the house of God and she gets excited about that. And she, unless, 99 times out of 100, she's got a smile on her face. And that other time is when she sprayed Windex in her face, face by mistake. Every other time, she's awesome, she's great, she's excited. This person, Tom, was not that. In any ways, crotchety is a good word for Tom. Like five-year-olds were terrified of Tom because he had been known to give the little ear tweak. Some of you grandmas, grandpas, you know what I'm talking about. That kid, tweak, they behave right away. He was doing that to people who weren't his children. Problem, a little bit of an issue. It's a personnel HR thing that had to be dealt with. He just was that kind of guy. He let you know what he thought of you. Red juice like the bane of custodians everywhere, just so you know, is like that red juice stuff because it stains in the carpet, never comes out. I had red juice. I was the youth pastor and we always did crazy things. Red juice was just the beginning of my creativity in the church. And he, he, he let me know it. Red juice, Scott, you're in trouble. You're gonna have to, I'm going to take it out of the youth ministry budget. I mean, that sort of thing. Just a crotchety guy. And at this church, we had... Um, we had an interesting facility, and in this facility, we had a courtyard. It was a pretty significantly sized courtyard. It was fairly new. It had in this courtyard, which was fenced off, not open to the public unless doors were open, like on Sundays and at other times over the course of the week, it was locked off. 
but inside was very smooth concrete, a whole bunch of railings for getting up steps in various places, and planters with smooth edges. You, that, none of that may mean anything to you unless you are a Tofusing skateboarder. Unless you're a skateboarder, right? If you are a skateboarder, that is like heaven. It is your own private skate park. And we would have people show up, jump the fence, skateboarders, and they would jump the fence and they would go skating inside this courtyard. And they would have a blast, riding rails, planters, smooth pavement. Everything was great unless Tom caught you. If Tom caught you, you were in trouble. And he would scream at you and he would tell you about your mother and how horrible she was. And she would tell you about your future and how bad it was. And he would tell you what a lazy, no good person you were. He would let you know just how horrible you were for skating in the courtyard. And I remember having a conversation with Tom after one thing. I didn't see it happen because I heard it happen. You couldn't miss it because he'd be yelling at people. I remember having a conversation with Tom about skateboarders in our courtyard. And I remember saying to him, Tom, hey, I understand. You got to clean up this stuff afterwards because there's marks on the concrete and you got to power wash it. Or there's marks on the planters or all that other sorts. I get it. I understand. But what you have to understand is that every time you tear into these guys, they think something about you that you may not be thinking. And what they think is that you're a Christian. They think that because you work at a church and are at a church, that you actually represent faith in some way. That you believe in the cross that hangs in the front of the church. And because you are representing that and you're tearing into these guys and talking about their mom and their future and their character in the way that you are, they're hearing those words being spoken by Jesus. And I said, Tom, you can talk to him. Please do. I don't want you to have to do more work. And you can ask them to not be here. You can encourage them. You can even, you know, if you have to get some help, we'll take care of it. But you need to remember that when you talk with them, you carry Jesus. And what was interesting is over time as we began to engage with some of the people in our neighborhood in a different way is our church became theirs. They didn't always come to church. In fact, very few of them ever did. They maybe came for youth group a couple times, but they would watch out for it. And they would let us know if there were other kids who were abusing it or jumping fences that they shouldn't be. Because these people saw in us brothers, friends, family, people who cared for them. For us to pose that question, how are we presenting Jesus to the world that we live in? How are we doing what it is that God calls us to do in our world that others might see, see him through us? As we think about what it means to live into this obedience, live like Jesus, love like Jesus, I want you to think just for a moment even about the Easter story itself. See, sometimes we don't want to love others. We don't want to care for them because it's hard to do 
on Easter, Jesus really didn't want to do it either. If you look at the story of Garden of Gethsemane, I think it's John 16, just before 17, he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. I would prefer, I would rather there be another way than for me to go through this pain and suffering. For you to show your love to the world through me, I would rather it be differently. But because it's not, and because I want to be united with you, I want to be one with you, I will do what it is that you will and not what I will. Even when it's hard to love, Jesus did it. Why? Out of obedience to the Father. The greatest manifestation of love, Easter happened because Christ was united to the Father and he did what God asked him to do. He obeyed. And this love was shown to the world, even to those who hated him. Think about this. I was thinking about this even on Friday night when we were doing our um, tableaus for Good Friday. And when Christ was being nailed to the cross and we were telling that story, I was thinking about that. Imagine, come with me, if you will, to Golgotha, the place of the crucifixion. And Jesus has been led there by the soldiers. And the cross is laid on the ground. And Jesus is spread out upon that. He would have been initially bound with cords around his arms to keep his hands there so they wouldn't move while they struck the nails into his flesh to keep him there. And then they began to nail him. And they wouldn't nail through the hands. They would nail through the wrist. And this wrist, you, you can feel between two, the two bones, that's where the nails would go because if they went through the hands, they would tear out. And because they would tear out, then you would fall off and they would have to redo it. They put them through the wrist and then you stay up there better. So he's on the ground and this horrible, horrible, wretched thing is happening to him. Did he catch the eye of the person with the hammer in his hand? Did he look at him? And if he did catch the eye of the man, as he rammed one nail after the next into his arms, and then the one spike between his feet to hold him there, did Jesus look at him? This person who hated him enough, hated what he represented enough to execute him on this horrible tool of death. What did he look at him with? Eyes of love. We have to believe that Christ looked at that person who was causing him so much pain, even unto death, with eyes of love. And for us to understand that when others cause pain to us, when others hurt us, when there's things that happen that are unfair to us, and God calls us to live love into those situations, he is calling us to what? Live as Jesus lived. Truth of the text. Because that's what Jesus did. Christians are called to do what the Father says, to live as Jesus lived, to show love to all as a present or potential brother or sister in Christ. 
That's, that's what we're called to. We're called to live into that love of Jesus. To, as Jesus did, do what the Father calls us to do, as hard as it may be sometimes. And the payoff is holiness. Turn back, I want to read this. John 17, verse 17. If you got your Bibles open, you can underline this one because it's worth it. It's a short verse. You'll miss it if you're not looking for it, but it says this. Sanctify them by, your, by the truth. Your word is truth. I'm going to read that again. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Right now he's praying for believers. He's praying for the church. And what he's saying is, God, come, sanctify them. Make them holy is another way to say sanctification. Make them holy. And how do you make them holy? By your word, because your word is truth, and you'll sanctify them by your truth. So your word is truth, your word will sanctify them, and what do we then live into? We live into the word. Why? Because the word is obedience. When we live into obedience, we're doing what God says. That's his word. And since his word is truth, and truth has power, it makes us holy. Connections are all there. As we live into obedience, Christ himself, through God the Father, makes us holy. As we do in our world what the Father says and we love others, we more in deeply engage in this union that we know in Christ. Remember, Christ prayed, let them be one as you and I are one. God and the Son are united. But then we also know that in Christ on the cross, we are united with Christ. We're living into that union by doing what it is that God calls us to do. And that is to love others even though it's hard. The grace Christ gave to us at Easter then is showing its power in our lives. See, here's the thing. You can know Easter. You can know the empty tomb. You can know the empty cross. You can know it all. And you can say, that's great. And that changes things for me. But the problem is, is if you're not living into it, then that grace is a wasted grace. It's not power that you and I are allowing God to use to transform us. Now, here's something important, though. As we live into this loving of others, doing what it is that God calls us to do, there's some key points we need to remember. It doesn't mean we always like them. I love my children. They're wonderful, wonderful children. God has been good to Kristen and I. I'm grateful. But if Troy puts a baseball through my kitchen window, I don't like him very much. And that's okay. I'm not called to like him if he throws a baseball through my window. I'm called to love him, which means that I am willing to forgive him. I'm willing to hear him as he asks for forgiveness and says he's sorry. That's what showing love is. It also doesn't mean that we always agree with them. I love my wife, Kristen. We've been married for over 20 years. And as a result of being married for 20 years, we always agree with each other. <laughs> uh, she always agrees with me. 
I just made it a long day for myself. Um, <laughs> of course we don't. We're very different. She's wrong, I'm right. <laughs> We're just very different people. I see things differently than she does. She see things differently than I do. And it's not right or wrong oftentimes. We're just not in agreement. Especially you throw kids into the mix and how you raise kids, discipline kids, what you do with your kids. That's a hard road to navigate in full agreement. But I love her. I love her. We just don't always agree. It also means we don't even get along. I love my brother, my brother Jonathan. He's three years older than I am. He made my life a living Hades until I was a teenager and large enough to fight back. But that's a whole other long, long story. He is a pastor in Zeeland, Michigan. And he and I don't always get along. Well, why? Because I preach and I'm a preacher, a pastor at a Christian Reformed church. And my brother Jonathan is a pastor, preacher, leader at a Reformed church, Heretics. And we see things radically different. I'm just kidding, by the way. It's a good church. They're good people. Misdirected, but that's okay. No. We don't always get along. We've gotten into knock-down, drag-out debates, arguments, all that other sort of stuff. But you know what? If he called my phone right now and said, Scott, get on a plane because I need you. I'm on that plane quicker than anything because I love my brother. And if he needs me, I'm doing anything for him, even if we're in the midst of a fight of how wrong he is. And that goes for all people. You don't have to always agree. You don't have to always get along. You don't always have to like in order to love. But it does mean that you pray God's blessing upon them. Your, God's presence for them. It means you speak the truth in love to them. In love. Not just truth, but in love. And you're willing to listen as they speak the truth in love back to you. And then as much as you are able to live at peace with them. That's when you and I are living into that love. If you come and you visit me in my office for a counseling session or something going on in your life, people will come in sometimes to have prayers for healing or before they're going for a doctor's appointment. Or if I come and visit you in the hospital, if we meet in different places at different times, about 95% of the time, I don't always do it because I forget or maybe the flow of the conversation isn't right, but 95% of the time, the conversation will end with somewhere in that ending a certain phrase. It's an important phrase, but it's an uncomfortable one, especially when you say it for the first time. I'll never forget it with one particular person. She can handle it. I talked to her about it in first service. And so Jean Wagner, she's one of our senior saints here at the church. She was in the hospital within three months of my coming here. And I went to visit her in the hospital. She really didn't know me that well. I was just this young punk pastor or whatever. And I was come visiting her in the hospital. We hadn't talked that much. But I sat there and we talked for a while. And her husband John was there. And we prayed together. And as I was getting ready to leave, I stood up and I went as I often do. And 
for Jean, I don't do this for all, but for Jean and just who she is and, and the kind of person that she is, I kissed her on her forehead. And I said, Jean, I love you. And it was startling how she responded because she like put up her eyelids and it was like weird because this young, like, what was I doing? Making a move on her? You know, <laughs> of course she knew right away that's not what was happening. But it was that startling moment of her saying, well, what? And then it was like almost there was this peace. And she said, I love you too. Those are hard words sometimes, but I will say them often, and I will say them in tons of uncomfortable situations. I will say them to men, just the two of us in a room, if there's something that we're talking through, and I want them to know I care for you. I love you. And sure, there's sometimes when that may be just weird, but I want to do what my father says. And my father says to love one another. Christ has loved me. And he calls you and I to, I want to encourage you. You're going to have your chit-chat as you walk out of this sanctuary this morning. You're going to talk about Easter, what your plans are, what you're doing today. You're going to talk about how Michigan State lost yesterday. You're going to talk about stuff like that. As you do, allow your conversation to be marked by love. Now maybe... Maybe you actually say it. Maybe you say it to somebody. And if someone says it to you, receive it as what it was intended. That that person wants to show love to you just as Christ has shown love to them. And then go from this place and go and do that to the world. Yeah, uncomfortable. Yes, hard. Yes, challenging in a lot of different contexts. But I want people to know. If somebody asks me the question, why did you say I love you? I want then to be able to tell them because Christ loved me. And the way that I show my love for him the best is by going and showing that love in the lives of others. Would you pray with me?